and welcome to Kino Vision. Three views, two films, one podcast. My name is Henry Greenberg, and joining with me on the other lines, as always, is Nathan Roberts. They did the Monster Mash. And Luke Hicks. Today, fellas, uh, we have a special There's a episode. snake in my boot. One of our, uh, one of our elite Kinos, Luke Hicks, attended New York Film Festival. As a critic, he's a professional. Look at that. Totally real. So uh, press credentials and everything is real. Five minutes here and ask him about how it was, what he learned, what did he see, etc. Um, so Hicks. <laughs> now really it's really just going to be me sharing life movies. lessons and anecdotes. That's it. We're going to learn about uh, Giancarlo Esposito's Mm-mm, hat. No. That, that Hicks sat behind in one of the screenings, which I cannot wait to hear multiple <laughs> details about. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> All right, great. Well, well then, why don't we just oh, dive I'm going to talk so uh, much about Hicks. that hat. So how did you get into the New York Film Festival? Um, I was given a letter of assignment by Film School Rejects, which is based out of Austin, which, oddly enough, has nothing to do with the fact that I'm from Austin. I did not meet any of those people until uh, until post-Austin life. But, yeah, that's that's who gave me press uh, credentials, okay, so and I just applied, and they were like, yep. Simple as that. Um, so the, the New York Film Festival is slightly strange in the sense that... Um, it has essentially two different festivals that have the same films in the same lineup and, and everything. But there's a press a festival, festival that starts two weeks prior to the actual festival. And the idea is the press festival, yes. The idea is that the press would like see all the films and then be able to advise future festival goers as to what they should see. So, yeah, that, that was... Uh, That made for only press and industry screenings on my part. Uh, there were never fans. I went to a couple public screenings that were great, and I'll talk about those later. But, yeah, so it was just like the Walter Reed Theater, the Lincoln Center is gorgeous. Yeah, I mean, it's, they, it's better than Alice Foley, in, in my well, opinion. I'm sure. Alice Foley um, But I, d- I was big. not prepared for how I mean, it's fun to sometimes go to a, a, a big screening there, but it doesn't. you don't even get like a sense of the it vibe because it's all very like everyone's sort of separated yeah. into – Anyway, yeah, no Walter Walter Reed's better. Yeah, it yeah, literally it's, it's is massive. I mean, it it's like a concert, a concert hall. Right. A concert so, hall. Yeah. yeah, Walter Reed is great. Right. Yeah. But yeah, the the festival is centered for people who haven't been or don't know New York well. The festival is centered like it, it is a part of like the same buildings or the same general like block large or two block large structure that is like the Met Opera and the ballet and Famous Juilliard the producers and all that among, jazz. So yeah, it's like the just the most gorgeous area. So I really liked commuting. Other things. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What, so what was like, uh, as far as being yes, an attendee, so I'm sure you had like expectations of what it would be like to be at a festival, not just obviously seeing all the movies, but sort of like the interactions with fellow press and uh, just like the, the experience as a whole, the, how did those meet what was in your mind beforehand or not meet? Mm. 
Well, I I wasn't expecting the press screenings to be so low-key. Like, I kind of thought that the press would be, everyone would be really chatty and everyone would want to talk about it afterwards because it's their job and it's just everyone would be so opinionated and I would, like, kind of meet all these people. And um, I did meet people. I mean, I met five to ten people, several of which I knew who they were and knew their writing prior to going in and several of which I, I didn't know and made, like, two actually really good friends out of it. Um, who were people I, I hadn't known uh, that are like my age, sort of in the same boat. And that was cool because it was like, oh, I'm meeting like the next generation of people who have devoted themselves to being film critics. And we like are just, our lives are identical, except like he lives in London or like he lives in uh, like uptown Manhattan or something like that. So that was really great. But yeah, screenings screenings were so low-key i mean people came in at the last minute and then watched them and then just like peaced out people were not talking it was a very stingy press crowd um it made me really not want to be like a new york film critic man, at all 60s like, are like, over, i want to be man. a film critic and i want to be nothing the, like you this, know the, the olden days new york means. film festival i mean it's it's mythic you know <laughs> it's like that the the birth of international art cinema i mean the most like opinionated mm-hmm. yeah. You know, I mean, obviously, it's like exaggerated in like the the memories and, and recounts of, of critics, but and and just like people who were generally in the city at the time. But times have changed. You know, this this neoliberal. Uh, what I don't I don't know. I can't even rant. Keep going, Hicks. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. I mean, you are kind of right. Like, or you are right. Period. But yeah, the New York Film Festival is. I mean, it's a great festival. It's incredible. I really love it. But in some sense, it is an afterthought in the festival season now. Um, it has some of the best programming like of any festival any year. But it's like there are very few films that are being shown for the first time. Like people have seen like critics that are going to all festivals and just like, you know, running the gauntlet on the festival circuit. They have seen most of these films either at Toronto or Venice or Berlin or some of them even Sundance earlier in the year or Cannes in May. And so it's like... It's sort of towards the end of the of the festival run, um, and I gathered that a lot of critics had been to those festivals and were sort of just like seeing the ones that they had conflict schedules or that they had conflicting schedules with at other festivals. Um, and then there are a few like the favorite Yorgos Lanthimos's new movie with Emma Stone and Rachel Weisz and Olivia Colman, Nicholas Holt. Like that was a I'm pretty sure that was like a U.S. premiere and it was like a big deal. That was their opening night film. Um, so there are a few movies like that, but no, yeah, for the most part, it was just like, I watched a, on average three movies a day for three weeks. And then the fourth week, it was like only two or three films the whole week. So it was like just a lot of films, like all in a row. They, they schedule it to where there are no conflicts. Like you can watch every movie if you want to. So there were some days, the longest days would go from like nine to 7 PM. It was like watching the equivalent of five films, um, and those were long days but i mean that said like almost every film was right. was good very few films right well i mean that is that is the benefit of it being slightly sort of near the end of the below average season, is that there is a there is a sort of like so, pre kind of uh yeah we say a, a sieve you know or, or some sort of cure you know pre-curated aspect of it which means you don't often get the excitement yeah. that you get at different festivals but you everything Definitely. tends to have been already vetted as being pretty good mm-hmm. before it shows up um but it also it just it doesn't right. feel like um yeah 
like South by Southwest or Sundance or, you know, there's some festivals that sort of feel like film critic summer camp. And like the New York Film Festival is like very much not like that. It's just like a bunch of films shown early in New York. Um, and especially like for, for the general public, I, I would only go to typically like yeah, two or three exactly. films per year when I lived in, in New York just because it was basically just seeing something that would come out in a couple months anyway, mm-hmm. but paying like fucking whatever, 40 bucks <laughs> to see it in a giant yeah. theater. Like it was, yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Ticket prices are insane. I mean, yeah. they're like, yeah, most of them were 25 or like your average. But if you wanted to go, like I was telling one of the people I worked with, he wanted to go see a movie and I was like, like the next day was Roma. And I was like, we'll definitely go see Roma. Like it's, unbelievable and he went to to see it yep. and he like got there to buy a ticket and they're like that'll be 75 dollars and he was like what and they're like yeah 75 dollars like this is our centerpiece film and he was just like no fucking way i'm not paying 75 dollars and it's like yeah the movie comes out at christmas so he's gonna have to wait to see it and like and and the hype is going to build but i mean i'm in he's just his, like like if I were in his shoes, like, there's yep. no way in hell Hands I would paid seventy five dollars for a movie. Yeah, I don't care how early I'm seeing it. <laughs> and they just swipe one and they're like, "All right, so go on in." <laughs> yeah, I mean, from, from what I understand, I, I, I in my film creation <laughs> class so that funny. I took a couple years ago, Dennis Lim, who teaches at Harvard every once in a while, he's teaching a class right now actually. But um, he talked about you know he's one of the curators, like one of the main curators of the festival, right? Yeah, I mean, basically yeah, the way that like, he puts it is like yeah, he those curates big most centerpiece, like expensive ass things are what allow the festival to keep going, and then to also screen things that are rarer or less likely to be shown, at least in a major venue in in the city. So there is this sort of like compensation kind of like yeah, you know, gesture, you know, um, that that the festival is consistently doing, um, yeah. I mean, the it's also, like, I think one of the reasons they're able to charge so much for so many films and, and maybe feel, like, legitimate is that they they bring in, like, the director and screenwriters and the lead actors for almost every film. And I imagine it's so easy just because it's in New York. And it's, like, if these people aren't living in New York, like, say they're based in L.A., like all these stars like Willem Dafoe and Oscar Isaac and Catherine Hahn and Molly Shannon, all these people that are like showing up Rachel Weiss. I mean like the, you could pretty much assume that the lead actor, actress and the writers and directors of every film will be there for a Q and a for at least one showing. Right. And it's like they, I mean, they have apartments in New York or someone's putting them up in New York and it's the easiest place to fly to if they don't already live there. So that's a huge part of it as well. Like when you get to sit with Pal Palikowski after cold war or when you get to sit with Barry Jenkins after if Beale Street could talk for like 45 minutes and just hear him sort of like shoot off about the film. It's it's that's great. You know, like you're not going to get that at most other places. You might get that at some other right, festivals, but right. it's like, are you going to buy right. a ticket to go to Venice? Are you going to buy I was really disappointed when I saw when I saw Foxcatcher because you know? it was like an 11 o'clock showing um, and they're like, yeah, Channing Tatum didn't show up. And then but by the time the Q&A come uh, show like ugh, by the time the Q and A went on, he like you know sort of you know wandered on stage. I mean that guy, he was hungover AF. I mean he was just he clearly just had a late night, you know, with his New York buddies. <laughs> anyway, yeah, 
Right. <laughs> no, a lot of people like very clearly did not want to be there. Uh, really? Emma Stone wow, being the so most um, disinterested of all parties the entire festival. When she when she showed up for the favorite, it was like that was the first big like really big film that's going to be you know like internationally seen and lauded this year and probably get a lot of nods at the oscars that played at the festival like all the films that played before were great but they were you know like they're just smaller films like they're japanese films or they're korean films or they're chilean films that are unbelievable and in the same category as far as uh, quality goes but they just won't be seen at that level and they don't have a-list actors in them and so that was like the first one you like press came out in hordes for that it was um it was like one of the only films where there were you know like less than a hundred seats empty because it's a pretty big theater still and yeah she walked up on stage everyone was there except for rachel vice um and she she walked up on stage and she just had like this it was at noon and she just had this look on her face like she just wanted to die and it was like what like what's your deal like this is the easiest part of your job right like you just show up and sit on us and maybe that's it like it's so mundane it's there's nothing there for her um i realized very (laughs) quickly that press ask the fucking worst questions on the planet like on the spot like they're just so bad at asking questions like you know when you get those academic questions at a lecture or something where someone speaks for a minute and then like asks a question that actually isn't there and it was like you just wanted to make a comment and sort of show off it's like that but like people don't even have the vocabulary half of the time to like say what they want to say it's it was so ugly like i walked into that first uh q a with them thinking like oh yeah i'm definitely gonna have questions about the favorite and like wrote a few down like in a journal while i was watching the film and then it was like after the first three people asked questions i was like oh no i don't want to be a part of this group like i'm distancing myself from this group of people that are asking questions i will not be included because even if my question is good like it doesn't matter. People are just going to remember that almost every question was terrible. But I mean, the first question that someone asked was so unintelligible that Yorgos Lanthimos just picked up the mic, looked around at everyone, and then they all just started <laughs> laughing. And he said, next. That was how bad the first question was. I was just yeah. like, oh my gosh, what the, uh, this is the worst way to start. Um, but yeah, at one point someone was like, uh, asked Emma Stone a question about her character and she was like why aren't you asking that question to everyone why are you just asking that to me and they were like oh well I uh, I thought your character was particularly complex and she was like every character is complex oh I hate I hate that shit man and it was just so That's goddamn I, she, awkward she it was like, like, uh, who is, um, uh, like <laughs> is willing to play the game in a way that is like very it, like so that that's really surprising to me. I guess I just sort of assumed she was kind of thirsty and if for, for the star power, but I, that, I maybe think that she was is too. Land. I, I don't know. Yeah, 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 yeah. And maybe she just like maybe it was a bad maybe day, you know. Noon. Maybe she's not usually you know? like that. I haven't watched very many like press so conferences. That's, that's fair. But um, <laughs> yeah, and and I mean, there's also like. It, like, if the stars weren't frustrated, mm-hmm. they were quiet. Like, Oscar Isaac for At Eternity's Gate maybe said a single word. And, like, there's a screenwriter <laughs> on stage who was, like, 92 years old who could not keep his mouth shut. And it was just, oh, uh, it was grueling to hear him talk. Like, he would butt in to questions that weren't for him and then just go on this rant. Like, he wanted to teach us all a lesson. He would, like, tell us a quick fable in 30 minutes. Just like, oh, God, shut up. And then, like, by the time it gets to Oscar Isaac, he's like, 
he's just already checked out. Like someone asked him a question and he's like, yeah, like I thought, I thought it was good. You know, like to whatever they ask him and people are just like, ah, shit, like this is over. Um, but Julian Schnabel actually, he, he was one of the best responders like for at Eternity's Gate. He had a lot of good stuff to say. And so Claire Denis and Robert Pattinson after High Life was a great Q and A. Um, she like went on and on about how space in that film was just supposed to be a prison and not like make it a sci-fi movie, but it was just like something that could be that something that was impossible to escape. And even though she had broken English, yeah. well, she's like, awesome. They complimented each other really well, and it was terrific. So there were some good Q and As there, mm, but love, yeah, she's she's just funny. She's like so transparent. Uh, but I thought when I'd read her in interviews, I thought her transparency yeah. was like prideful, but it's not. It's the yeah. exact opposite. I mean, Bender is kind of <laughs> she's similar, just so pretending like she's a nobody the whole time. Such a fruitful partnership for so long, yeah. But well, let's get let's get to the films. Oh, really? I want to hear about some of these films. Yeah, so, um, so we g- g- we devised thing. a few categories. Uh, thank you yes. to Nathan. Mm-hmm. Um, so Nate, do you wanna do you wanna read off these categories here? Yes. So the categories are. These are Luke's awards. Um, so, number one, what is the most forgettable film? <laughs> like, what one have you, like, do you actually have to, like, really wring your mind to remember that you saw? Um, what uh, was the most disappointing film? Uh, what film do you have the most mixed feelings about? Uh, what was the most surprising film, positive or negative? And then best picture and then somewhere in there we'll talk about surely like what the best performance was um so right all right first one is all right, so most start, forgettable start film. What's the first one which one did you have to rack your to brain to remember like oh shit that film i saw it that was something uh Probably the most forgettable film is the film with the most forgettable title, which is unfortunately Grass. Uh-huh. Um, that's it, just Grass. Uh, it's it's oh, a film like by him. Hong Sang Soo, and it oh, he, had a, he had two I mean, he films made so at the many festival. Films that oh yeah, I like Hong Sang Soo a lot. So, um, yeah, he had he does. Oh my god, he's made yeah. four films in the past eleven months. Uh, for for like an example, yeah. He uh he had two films at the festival. One of them's Hotel by the River, and the other one was called Grass. And um, both were so unfor but sorry, both were so forgettable. But Hotel by the River like had some interesting. They were both in black and white, but Hotel by the River had some interesting like textures with windows and the ocean and snow, like in black and white that looked nice. And so that's the only thing, the only thing at all that elevates it above Grass. But both were like. I mean, both were bad movies. Uh, they're those. They're some of the only movies that that I really like disliked, and I think kind of only made it in there because he's who he is, right. and he but has. He, but he a sort great of does the Woody Allen thing, films. where it's just um, like. But yeah, he, these these I were. I mean, which hard has its misses. ups and downs, obviously, like literally, you know, all the time, right? But he's always like experimenting, trying stuff out. You know, he tends to write his scripts right. like wake up at four in the morning the day of shooting and just like. Yeah you know pound stuff out throw it to the actors and then film it that afternoon you know so so it would make sense that he right. has like his working method would yeah. even though he's generally really interesting and good like still lend him the capacity to make something not great you know <laughs> or just mediocre or forgettable um right right 
And and I mean like he even had uh like Kim Min Hee was in it. She's yeah, the she's great. main character in uh The Handmaiden. Yeah, he works with her a lot. Something right? that a lot of people have seen. Yeah, she's yeah, in yeah. both of them. And it's like yeah, they work a lot. On the Beach at Night Alone is one that uh, is fantastic for anyone who's looking for a good Hong Sang Soo movie that she is the main character of. But yeah, I mean, she like she's a good actor, you know. But it's just like there's nothing there. Like they're so, they were both so empty, and I just walked out. And they're so short. Like I think Grass was like eighty two minutes, and Hotel by the River was like ninety flat or something, maybe even like eighty eight. And so it's like even the length of them almost seems like I don't know they're just meant to be like washed away, um, <laughs> but at the same time it's funny to think that two out of the thirty six films that were programmed at New York Film Festival are like these uh, just duds yeah. from like a great filmmaker that I don't know yeah probably not put something else there well makes me wonder if they even watched them all right so next question is <laughs> yeah. uh, the most I mean I, I guess. Maybe you have a different answer for this. The most disappointing film. I mean, disappointing, I guess, implies that you had, like, some perhaps really positive expectation that was crushed. Right. Presumably, you didn't have, like... I mean, maybe you're expecting more from those films, but, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm looking for something a bit more dramatic if you have... Okay. Yeah, no, I definitely do. Um yeah, out of Grass and Hotel by the River, it was like I was expecting good movies, but I didn't yeah. have my hopes up. You know, I was just like, I kind of went in pretty neutral. Uh, so, yeah, they weren't disappointing. I was just like, those were bad. Um, most disappointing was definitely, oh, easily, Fuck, The Ballad man. of Buster Scruggs, That's so sad to hear. which is the Coen Brothers' new film. I know. I'm so sorry to say it. I'm I'm sad to say it. I well, that's it's why not, it's the most disappointing. I don't want so. that to be true. Um, and I wrote a review on it. <laughs> right, right. I just want to. I wrote I a review on it. So it if you want to read in detail what I think about it, you can go to Film School Rejects and find my review. Yeah. No. Yeah. I mean, a lot of people have written stellar reviews about it. Uh, I wrote eight reviews while I was there, and my review of. Ballad of Buster Scruggs got like infinitely more comments and hits on social media from people who were just like, fuck you. Uh, like, the, the, the film bros strike again. They can't do anything wrong. Yeah. Like you're just a terrible critic. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And I'm like, y'all haven't even seen the movie yet. Quick like, question on that. <laughs> you're just defending uh, this you because like, you want to defend so, it. So like this um, was one that was supposed but to yeah, be it's, uh, a yeah. mini series on Netflix originally. Do, it definitely, it definitely wasn't right. So it becomes, it was not. Oh, that's that was a, that's a, a wait. Are you for real? No, it's a that was a rumor. That was never true. They they were asked in the Q and A like someone said, uh, like why did y'all decide to turn this into a film instead of the uh, like mini series that you that you originally had set up with Netflix? And they were just like it was never supposed to be mini series. Like uh, we just okay, said it was okay. a compilation yes, of shorts, gotcha. and people assumed it was a mini series. It was always going to be a feature length film. We had always conceived it as a feature length film mm-hmm. that was just like anthology of short stories. So yeah, yeah. So no, I, I uh, yeah, I'm not sure. I mean, it makes sense as to how that yeah. rumor mm-hmm. got spread because yeah, it right. it's just like a series of totally. short stories and Netflix. I mean, put two and two together, it seems like a series. But yeah, you know they were the oh my gosh the Coens were also maybe they they might <laughs> but actually they're always like that in stone for I mean, at least wanting their, to like, be in the room yeah dude that interview 
I mean, I didn't know that, but yeah, they did. They did not want to be there. I was standing actually behind Joel Cohen in line to take a piss, and I didn't know it was him because I didn't see his face. I was just standing behind this dude, and the guy in front of him turns around and sees him, and he's like, "Oh, uh, go in front of me." Great film. It was right after the film ended, and he just didn't say a thing yeah, and dude. like like put his head down and like shook it. And I was just like, oh, geez, this is about to be, like, a bad Q&A, isn't it? And, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, they shrugged off three or four questions just because they didn't want to answer them. Whether they were, like, good, bad, all right questions, they were just like, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. you know, it's it's just I the way like it is. I feel like the only Next, person who interviewed they were, Cohen's they were so well is Terry Gross. And, I mean, she is, like, the best, so I guess that makes sense. But, like somehow she's able to like connect with it like but they still like laugh like they spend most of the time just sort of chuckling about things um one of my favorite moments from an interview with them with her is she is like asking about just uh timberlake in uh inside lewin davis and how he he sung the bass line on the please mr kennedy uh track or whatever and they were like well you know it was a bit surprising because uh you know no, uh, sorry, it wasn't Dear Mr. Kennedy. Wait, Adam Driver. No, no, the, the, he sung the bass line on that Irish. Adam Driver sings the bass line. One of the songs. Yeah, yeah. The, the trio. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that one. Um, and oh, they were like, it was oh, a bit surprising. Oh, the old triangle? Like, Justin, I mean, you know, he could, yeah. could kind of yeah. get up there. <laughs> you know, it was like classic Cohen, just sort of deadpan. Anyway, <laughs> um, well, I'm, I'm disappointed that that movie's disappointing, but yeah. 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 I, I want to say, though, I want to caveat slash explain the disappointment, because it's not pure disappointment. Uh, it starts off, it's six shorts, and it runs about two hours. None, They're not the same length. I mean, like, some of them are 10 minutes, others are, like, 38. Um, and they all have completely different casts. They're not connected. They all have, like, different cinematography about them. They all have different styles and modes. But it's kind of like as if the Coen brothers took a film and then divided it into like six slightly different to ranging to completely different ways to shoot a Western. Uh, Cause they're all Westerns. And the first one is like just fucking great. I mean, you watch the first one and you're like, I'm in for like the best movie of the year. And Tim Blake Nelson knocks it out of the park. It's the actual Buster Scruggs short. And uh, from there it just goes downhill. Like there's one with James Franco and Steven Root. It's pretty good. There's one with Tom Waits. It like is not as good. There's one with like Zoe Kazan and uh, oh gosh, I forget the other dude's name. Not that great. The Liam Neeson one is like so it's the most garbage on the nose, like Trump metaphor I've seen in, in anything recently. But it's like they claim that they wrote it decades ago. They said that they wrote that one like over 20 years ago or something. And I'm just like, okay, yeah, I mean, it could apply to so many other political leaders, but it's still not good. Um, And at one point during the interview, they said, like, yeah, these, all of these come from somewhere between, you know, like a couple of years ago and 25 years ago. And we never intended on making any of them. And then we just sort of had enough to put them together, which to me is just like, so you never intended on making them probably because they're not good enough. And then you decided to, I guess, just because you had enough and Netflix was giving you money. So to me, even like the way they were acting about it was like they knew it wasn't great. But I don't know. I mean, a lot of people are giving it terrific reviews. And the last thing I'll say about it is that 
critics are notoriously shamed for saying that a Coen Brothers film is bad after first watch and then like a year or two later being like, I fucked up, that movie's great. And so maybe, but also the Coens, you know, they they haven't they haven't made um, a they made bad films every once in a while. I don't while, think so. You know? They haven't done one in a while, so <sighs> yeah. I mean, when like the Lady yeah. Killers and Intolerable Cruelty are the two most referenced yeah. that aren't great, which I don't think are great either. Yeah, um, I think Intolerable yeah, Cruelty is right. actually it's been a while since they've made a, a better than people one. sometimes get it credit for, but it does sort of go off the rails. Into it's sort of like no, just into sort of like. I mean, it's also well worth noting. In the last ahead, act, anyways. Yeah, I mean, I still think that uh, it, like it's worth noting that it's the Coen Brothers, you know. So it's like the worst of the Coen Brothers is honestly some director's best. Uh, like it's it's considerably better yeah. than whatever mainstream picture is at your local AMC. But you know it's the yeah. Coen Brothers, so I went in expecting. Yeah. Okay, great, next film. Great, great film. Most mixed so feelings. Most Ooh, jeez, mm. <laughs> Ballad of Buster Scruggs pretty much like qualifies for that one as well. Um, most mixed feelings. Let's see. This could go two ways, and and I'll say what they are. Uh, one of them would be. LaFleur which is was like a it's a 15 hour film I went in with such high expectations because number one who makes a 15 hour film and gets funding for it unless something worthwhile is happening number two the New York Film Festival programmed it and the programming is just so stellar between between Kent Jones and and Dennis Lim and the others like it's just so well programmed so I'm thinking, you know, if they programmed LaFleur, it's worth it. Um, and LaFleur was the least attended movie, obviously, of all of them. And they showed it in three parts, each of them. Like, one of them was, like, four hours, and the next two were essentially, like, five and a half to six. And uh, it was on consecutive mornings for the most part. They skipped one morning. And there were, like, ten people, probably, in the third part of... of like the last part uh so people were not impressed i think uh i heard i overheard one woman saying in the break of the second one to someone else like he's trying to test us like he's trying to test our stamina and our endurance and like what it means to watch a film and i'm like that you know that's something that a director can certainly do but i don't know that that's that what sort of seems like the, that sort of seems right like now. the go-to um, comment for anything that so i the, the reason i have mixed feelings yeah right exactly yeah that, and that's what i felt too i'm like well i don't know who this person is i don't know what their history is i don't know what to say about them so i can't really make a like an argument you know like is this something that this person would characteristically say or is this something that like i don't know is out of character for them so you know i didn't join the conversation but to me it, i was like that nah, that's too gimmicky like we don't have enough evidence to know that that's true and that was the second part and at the end of the third i was like we still don't so the reason I say most mixed feelings is just because, like, it's a 15-hour film. Like, there are hours and hours and hours of that that are so worth watching and that I loved and that were, like, hilarious or bizarre. It's it's separated into six episodes, I think. 
but like they're not the same story. So like the gimmick of the movie, or I'm calling it a gimmick, I guess that's negative, but the bit about the movie is that it's like there are these four lead ladies and they play different roles in all six episodes and they're completely different. And he, he opens the film by telling you about the film. So like the film opens with him sitting at a picnic table and being wow, like, all so right, so four women are about to play completely different roles in six films. And he's like, you're going to want to dig into them and their roles and how they're connected. And you can do that. But I just want to say that this movie is mostly about them. And he doesn't explain that, right? Like, he just leaves it there. Like, this movie is about them. It's about these women. It's about what it means to, like, be women. And he just sort of, like, leaves it there. And he, like, He's like, okay, so the first one is going to be like a B-horror movie, like you know from Hollywood. Like the second one is going to be this really long, drawn-out spy novel, like turned into a movie. The next one is going to be, and he just keeps going. And they're all like different genres. And they are completely different films. And it's like the ambition of the project and in the totality of the project that I like and that I want to give credit. But if I'm being honest, like... 70% of it fell flat on me. Um like the the B horror movie was just bad. Like it was bad from start to finish. And not because he was living into like the aesthetic of a B horror movie. It was just like there was nothing interesting about it ever. And I was like, well maybe this is somehow going to play into a role they play in the future, which is essentially what he warned us about at the beginning that wasn't true. And it's like by the end of the 15 hours I was like, no, it doesn't. Like that's just a shitty movie period like that that first part you know like that hour and a half b horror movie was just bad and i don't know what else to say about that um and then there are parts in the spy movie that were great like so great and then there are parts in like the experimental film that were like really great as well so there are parts in there that were good but i mean <laughs> even up until the credits like the credits lasts 32 minutes i think and you're like under the impression the whole time that something is about to happen because the credits are rolling but like there's stuff happening and you're watching them rap like they just finished filming the last scene they shot the whole thing chronologically it took them over six years so you'd watch them film and finish the last scene and then it's like someone calls cut like there's a filter there's this really crazy filter over the lens someone takes off the filter and then you're like seeing them hug and embrace and they're like we did it we finished the project and you're like expecting something to happen like you're some, expecting more from it and like there just isn't anything more like nothing happens it's like you just watch this dude smoke a cigarette for over like 25 minutes after that and then it's just over and it's like what why was that there why was that credit sequence that long was it really just so he could get the credits in there i don't know um but yeah and then the second to last act is the second to longest of the six and it's like supposed to be this meta reflection on them like um Mario Linus Mariano Linus is the director and it's like he is featured in the film in the in the fifth act while he's like he's talking to producers about like I'm sorry the film's going too long but this is what this is what we're doing it's an art project and so it becomes this meta experience but like it never even capitalizes on it it's just silly so yeah, I've, there are parts of it I really respect, but in the end, it's like if yeah. five hours of a fifteen-hour movie are great yeah. and the rest are terrible, then what does that make the movie? You know? Yeah, I like I, even just from, so, from the thing you talk about, mixed I, feelings. I do really admire that ambition, and I and I appreciate like the the 
ginormous swing, but yeah, you right. kind of hope that there's a little bit more purpose or a little bit more like like discernible purpose with, with each of the moving parts. And yeah, that's interesting. All right, do we want to move on to uh, yeah, yeah. The next one? Next up, most su- surprising, positive or negative? What's up? Most surprising, positive or negative? Okay. I will say, I'll, with most surprising, I'm going to go the positive route because there just weren't that many films that were uh, negative to me. If I was going to go most surprising negative, it would be a Diamantino, which a lot of people have praised and said is really great. Uh, like my favorite critic, David Ehrlich, gave it a four and a half out of five stars, and it's just not good. Um, it's not a good movie. I don't know why anyone thinks it's a good movie. I'm so confused. It's one of the lowest quality movies I've ever seen. Uh, it's terrible. It's fun, I guess, because they're like like dogs and like pillowy clouds, and it's supposed to be based on Cristiano Ronaldo's life as if he was like a dipshit. That's, that's so the premise. It's, it's not good. Anyways, that would be most surprising negative. Yeah, it's 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 really strange, and that's the good part, and that's what people are praising, but they seem to like be willing to forego the fact that all of everything else about it is bad including performances and screenwriting and direction but most surprising good one i would say is um uh too late to die young which is i i wrote a review on that one as well i really fell in love with it at the time and i'm excited to see it again slightly nervous because it's like possible that i maybe fell too hard for it um but i don't think so but it's it's a film by dominga sotomayor who is chilean i believe she might be argentine argentinian i forget now but um she's really great i think it's it's her third film she wrote it and directed it and it's just about this like young teenage girl essentially who lives in a an ostracized like self-ostracized um society in the woods who they're sort of just like running from this uh, corrupt government like in I forget the exact year but in Chile like sometime in the 1980s or maybe early 1990s the, like there was this big change of power the, the Pinochet and uh, this guy who had been a maybe I kind of forget now I like I wrote about it over a month ago so I'm forgetting the details but they're all I wrote them in my review but it's like whoever the dictator was, he essentially, I mean, he willfully stepped down. Like he was like, all right, everyone hates me. I'll put it up to a vote. Like if people vote against me, then I will step down. If they vote for me, then I win and I'm the president still. And he lost in like a really close race, but he honored his agreement, which is so such an anomaly in history uh, for a dictator to do something like that. And then he stepped down. So like we enter this film like right when that's happened and it doesn't tell you that, but it gives you like the time and the place. And so if you look into history you know that's what's going on and like it's these people who look otherwise very civilized i mean they look like your parents if you grew up with them in some suburban society except they live in the woods and they've built like pretty nice houses and uh they're just like this this sort of like for lack of a better word like hippie community um who have decided to not participate in the way the their economy works but it has nothing really to do with that. I mean, the whole point of the film is you're just following this girl. It's a coming of age film. Like you're following this girl as she, I don't know, just grows up and she's around 17 or 18. She falls in love with a mid 20 something like 
she's begun to chain smoke cigarettes there's a scene where her dad is like stop smoking and she's like shut the fuck up i smoke now and he's just kind of like okay and like that's that's it and uh the cinematography is absolutely gorgeous it's everything is gray that's that's what i focused on most in my review is like this movie is just full of gray light that you didn't know you wanted or that you needed prior to seeing the film because it's like on a sunshiny day it's still like a gray sunshine but it's gorgeous like it's just the best some of the best cinematography it will end up being some of the best cinematography of the year and the soundtrack is incredible they use a lot of like Maisie star like sort of psychedelic or shoestring rock songs and so it's very it has a very lazy feeling there's a lot of like smoke everywhere all around it feels kind of like you're drifting through the story and i just got so engulfed in it um and i expected nothing from the movie at all that sounds cool so yeah uh, yeah, that was best surprise down for that grave 50 shades of it all right um y'all should definitely see it now we're off to the now we're off to the final the finale ayo the best picture what's best picture star is born star is born best of the fest (laughs) (laughs) best picture is the easiest for me to decide uh actually and the answer is cold war which is by Pal Palakowski. And uh, it's it's one of those, like, it's so overwhelming, I don't even know where to begin. Um, it's the only movie I saw twice at the festival. I went into a public screening of that one. And I brought Beth with me. I got us some, some free press tickets. And brought Beth with me. It was an Alice Tully and Pal Palakowski and the lead actress whose name I need to figure out um I need to like learn it because she's Joanna Kulig is her name she's like the ninth wonder whichever one we're on of the world um but it's it's a if anyone's seen Pal Palakowski's films he made Ida most famously in 2014 which is about a nun it's in black and white it's Polish this film is also in black and white it's also Polish because he's still Polish it, he didn't want to make it in black and white. He wanted to like he wanted to take his films a different direction so that people didn't think of him as like the black and white guy from Poland. But he was just like I was. We started shooting it, and this film was meant to be in black and white, and that's what it ended up being in. Uh, but it's called Cold War because it takes place, I mean, during the Cold War after World War II, and it's about a, a pianist and a singer, and it's kind of like a really stark darker although it's still funny um more art version of la la land uh to like oversimplify the movie but oh god i it's so fucking good the music like brought me to tears seven or eight times during the movie it makes me tear up just thinking about it now Uh, and it's not a musical but it's there's a lot of music in it there's a lot of singing there's a lot of jazz music there's a lot of like nationalist music when they're sort of forced to play and sing for poland there's there's like just so much trauma and like um pain experienced in the whole thing because it's not like they're americans who can walk away and have free speech like they're polish people so they're chained by their government if they want to express something they need to run away if they decide that they're too tired to do that anymore they have to participate it spans decades it's 90 minutes long it's probably the only movie i've seen that spans such a long period of time and is so short um and it's brilliant i mean you get scenes like 
you get you get five minutes at a time that span like seven or eight years in which you get one scene like in a few different you know like two years before four years before seven years before or something like that and you're so fully filled in on what's going on between the two of them and like the emotions between them and everything that's happened since uh, it's just absolutely gorgeous um and the alice tolly screening the big one was they they had the two of them there the Joanna Kulig and Paul Palakowski talk about it afterwards, and she has them such broken English, yet she's so confident about everything she says, which is a strange combination, but it made for a great and really delightful interview. And uh, after the film was over, there was just like this standing ovation. Everyone was going wild. I was like bawling my eyes out. And then they like showed a spotlight up on the uh, on the balcony, and Paul Palakowski and Joanna Kulig were up there, and she was just like kissing and like waving her hands and she was like i'm on top wow. of the world and everyone was just in pure all right gotta pass. gotta check that out but yeah that movie's perfect cold perfect. war is gonna leave my like, can uh, i watch it on my iphone <laughs> pass. i can't wait to yell at someone in public for watching roma on their iphone i've heard very good things about roma i uh okay well yes. oh it's great so that brings me to the final thing I want to do is run down my list. I ranked all of them. It was difficult, but I did it. All right. So number one, actually, I'll, I'll go the other way. Number 35. <laughs> yikes. Sorry, Angel. Bad. Number 34, Hotel by the River. Number 33, Grass. Number 32, In My Room. Number 31, La Flore. That's the 15-hour one. Number 30, Your Face. Number 29, The Image Book, which is Godard's new film and is made by someone who is clearly not human anymore. Number 28, Diamantino. Number 27, The Times of Bill Cunningham. So, like, from here on, the movies are really good. But it's just, like, there were so many good ones. I didn't. It was tough. Number 26, Divide and Conquer, which is the documentary about Roger Ailes. Number 25, A Family Tour. Number 24, The Ballad of Buster Scruggs. Number 23, Nonfiction, which is Olivier Esaias and Juliette Binoche's new film. Number 20, what is that? 22, Ray and Liz. I'll never watch that movie again, but it's great. Uh, number 21, A Faithful Man. Number 20, Errol Morris's documentary about uh, St- <laughs> Steve Bannon. Jeez. American Dharma. Number 19, Monrovia, India, the new Frederick Wiseman film. Number 18, Long Day's Journey Into Night. Get back to me when you watch that one because I don't know what the fuck happened. Number 17, Happy as Lazaro, which is a great little Italian flick that just makes you want to be good. Her Smell is number 16, Alex Ross Perry's wow. new uh, rock punk epic with Elizabeth Moss. Um, number 15, The Other Side of the Wind, which will be the last Orson Welles movie uh, released since he died long ago. But this one's been sort of in limbo for a long time. It has a super interesting history, but it's great. Um, John Huston is the main character, which is a very famous director for people that don't know. And it's just absolutely bizarre, everything about it. Number 14 is Private Life. Number 13, At Eternity's Gate, uh, the Willem Dafoe as Vincent Van Gogh biopic. Number 12, The Favorite, which is probably going to move up if I reordered this list. I, I already, like 
take back some of the positions on this list. Number 11 is Wildlife, which I saw for the second time last night and is also going to move up because it's just so fucking good. That's Carrie Mulligan and Jake Gyllenhaal, and it's Paul Dano's first film as a director. Number 10 is Too Late to Die Young, the Chilean movie. Number 9, Ashes the Purest White. is absolutely amazing. Shawshank Ka is so good. And um, Zhao Tao won the best actress at Cannes for that. She's married to Shawshank Ka, so they're just like this perfect... Uh, duo number eight if beale street could talk the new barry jenkins movie number seven asako one and two don't know what to say about it you just gotta watch it number six roma so good number five transit oh, he's the new coming Christian to harvard Petzl movie who's the guy who made um, phoenix number four cool, yeah oh I'm that's great to it Oh my gosh, I loved it. Mm. I loved it so much. Dude, that Petzl's one got really awesome. mixed reactions for people I talked to afterwards, but I thought it was brilliant. He's so great. I like him a lot. Um, number four, and uh, I mean all of these, all the top 12 essentially, but are, are amazing movies that I feel it's impossible to categorize, but especially these top four are just like, they're perfect. Number four is High Life, which is the Robert Pattinson, Claire Denis, Juliette Binoche movie. Yeah. Oh my gosh. And Andre totally. 3000 is in that movie. Got it. And I was just like, wait, what? <laughs> what a surprise. Number three is Burning, which has gotten a ton of attention. Uh, that's Lee Chang Dong's new movie. It's so fucking good. Gotta watch it. Number two, and which is so close to a tie for first with Cold War, is Coriata's Shoplifters, which won wow. Cold War. Wow, that's awesome. So well, I think we'll be, uh, hopefully we'll be getting back to some of these as time goes by and as award season starts on But you didn't Kino mention Pod. A Star is Born. Definitely. I still haven't seen that, so we're going to need to talk about that. Five times? <laughs> <laughs> No, I, I did. I'm I'm looking forward Still to it. Still haven't seen A Star Is Born, but I'll see it eventually. I want to see it, dude. That is uh, not. I tried. To, I've tried to see it twice, and it's been sold yeah. out both times. I'm like, I have. the universe doesn't want me to see A Star Is Born. Um, I mean, I I could go into it. it. Uh, no, no, uh, we'll we'll get back. No, no, to no. It. Here's the only thing I'll say. People really want to love <laughs> this movie. That is the thing that I found so bizarre is that people are willing to overlook anything that's shitty about the film because people just really want to like it. That's like been like both like reading reviews and talking to people. That's like the number one yeah, thing that seems that's to be what I'm afraid of. Yeah, people are just like hungry for like a big old Hollywood. There's nothing like that. They don't really have to think. They can just show up and have um, something like this antiquated in this kind of way. Dude, hashtag the post. But this one is like. Hashtag uh, the post. A similar, but yeah, I d- just see it. I think you'll get what I mean once you see it. Not a huge fan. Um, That's what I'm gathering. Yeah, I mean, the, the movie is insane. Um, the, the thing that the movie does that I found uh, actually really interesting is it had two parts of my brain fighting each other. Where, like, what is actually happening is so stupid. Like, there is, like, literally 0% depth in any part of this movie. But the but the the people who are making it, like, believe in it, um, which which is kind of like uh, like uh, an amorphous term. But when you, when you watch it, you'll get what I mean. There's, like, the acting... Uh, there's this thing that, like, this term I use where, like, 
where when I see good actors, a lot of times it's like they're carving out space. Like they'll take like six lines, but they just break it open and they find what's there. And like Cooper as actor and director is just working so hard to milk every moment for what it's worth. But the moments mm-hmm. aren't really worth anything. So it's this really bizarre thing to watch. Mm-hmm. Um, it is super manipulative. But people just seem to dig that about it. I left and I was like, that movie sucked. Um, but okay. so many people really love it. So it, it's it's worth, and it's going to win some Oscars. So it's, it is worth engaging with for, I don't know, to be yeah. part of the discussion. What Oscars do you think it's going to win? I think Cooper will be up there for Best Actor, for sure. I don't think he's going to win Best Director. Um Wait, do you think he's going to win, or you just mean it'll be nominated for Oscars? I think I think he could win Best Actor. I I'd be surprised if he was nominated for Best Director, but I, it's gonna be nominated for Best Picture. Um, so there is a chance because of that to be in the yeah. That seems certain. Yeah, and then um, I would say Lady Gaga is interesting. I mean, I guess it kind of depends on which. I don't know. I mean, it's a real star performance i think she's fine in it wow um, great adjective it's yeah i know right but it's, it's the sort of thing that the oscars like to award even oh, though yeah, like sure. i don't um even though i thought she was just fine but i think she could have done any she could have been the worst actor of all time and i think the oscars would still nominate her just because of the meta narrative on it um hmm. so I, yeah but definitely best picture definitely best act i think he's gonna win best actor but definitely nominate her for those two. Dang. Okay. That sucks that she is going to get a nomination because there are so many great performances every year. If she doesn't deserve it, then she shouldn't get it. But yeah. yeah. But that's, but I've, I've also heard some people really, really like her performance. Her character is not great is the thing. Her character okay. sort of disappears halfway through the movie. There's also some great, like oh, m- interesting. music commentary that I think would be really interesting to discuss once you see it. Okay. Also, yeah. Brad. I, I need to see it. I I I want to see it. I mean, I want to yeah. even like it. Yeah. I don't know that I will. It seems the opposite of a kind of movie I would like. But I mean, I'm I'm so open to it. Uh, but honestly, it's hard to in any way like shirk what what uh, expectations have been set for it. Totally. Pop culturally, at least. Uh, what did you end up seeing last night? So I didn't end up seeing anything last night. Actually, oh, I was okay. decided gotcha. between a beautiful boy or not a beautiful boy, just beautiful boy. And a beautiful boy is born. A beautiful boy is starred, um, <laughs> and uh, a simple favor. And what was the last one? Oh, I want to see El a simple Royale. favor. I do too. I've heard a lot of people yeah. were very pleasantly surprised. Um, yeah, I mean, it just looks fun to me. Like, me I don't know, have, have you seen First Man? I've not seen First Man. I've tried to get people to see First Man with me on multiple occasions, and I can't believe people aren't interested. But people aren't interested. That's I, it's. I don't so, understand why. Yeah. That, you know, it's been really interesting. It feels like this movie has has come and you know it hasn't exactly went yet, but it it's not occupying a part of the cultural it, consciousness yeah, it's just not in there. a way that um, yeah you would figure. I mean, La La Land was just like two years ago, right? I mean, it was it not. I mean, not even like less than two Year and years and a half. ago. Yeah, and it, and was, it was huge, massive. I mean, could not have been and... a more monstrous movie. And it's Ryan Gosling. It's Ryan yeah. Gosling playing an American hero. Like, 
I would think that would get the conservatives out of their chair because it's an American hero, and I would think that would get all liberals out of their chair because, like, what did Damien Chazelle do? You know, like, right. but it 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 seems to be getting no one out of their chairs, the, and it really confuses me. The marketing me. Um, is pretty bland, I will say. The marketing doesn't isn't really like 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 the posters really bad. And like really cheesy. Oh, I like the poster. Oh, really? I I, I just don't think it. Well, it doesn't look like what the movie is. It makes it look like a different thing. Uh, I mean, I don't know what the movie is, so that's why I don't know. But like, I I agree that the marketing is bland, but that to me is not an excuse for people not going because the Star Is Born trailer was one of the worst trailers I've ever seen in my entire life. I mean, it's so so bad yeah and people loved that trailer mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and like we're all over it and i was just like you could not make a more bland trailer uh, yeah it and so yet terrible. everyone loves it right and like i don't know i that i don't understand why necessarily but everyone did so like i don't yeah why first man is just like falling flat in the box office is is such a puzzle to me yeah it's, um, it's like and people love yeah people love the biopics like it just it feels people like biopics people love america people love space. Ryan Gosling. yeah um but what it's, about it's okay. really interesting it is it is totally worth people's time um damien Chis- you've seen it yeah so i saw oh i didn't know you'd yeah, seen no, it yeah, I, yeah. i'm so excited to see Dude, it i think i'm gonna love it there's a lot of biopicy stuff in there that for my money doesn't mm-hmm. work but man the way he shoots all the launches basically so it it chronicles not like basically they end with him being on the moon what they do is sort of show you how he got there like like how through um through his perspective you see like the different um escalating launches and like how the technology developed to get there and each launch he gives um as much time as as you would expect for him to give the last launch if that makes sense and so yeah. like and they are fucking harrowing and and like he he puts you right in the cockpit with gosling and it's yeah i mean it's you ha- definitely definitely see it in the movie theaters slash or on yeah i really want to uh, but it is like it is so <laughs> for the big screen it's that's why i also think it's so weird is it's such a big screen movie it's such a movie movie. I uh, yeah. In that way, it's, I'm, I'm bummed that people. It looks very cinematic. It. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. What about? So you haven't seen El Royale? No, I've not seen El Royale yet. That's. I just watched that with Walt. It's pretty. It's just. It's just okay. You know. Cool. It's just good. Like I, I think I gave it like a three out of five or something. Like it's like kind of fun, but not right. even too fun. Like that's about it. Um. But can we talk? Beautiful old, boy. Can, can we talk? Old man and the gun because we've both oh, seen oh that. yeah yes oh yes. man uh so this is david lowry's um most recent venture and um robert redford's last Such a film. good cast oh the cast yeah. is great um oh my gosh it's it's robert redford sissy spacek casey affleck danny glover tom waits who am i forgetting there are more people in there. um um uh, elizabeth uh elizabeth moss, moss is mm-hmm. in there for a hot minute She's in yeah there for a second it's it's just such a great it's such a great cast I'm, and David Lowry David Lowry did Pete's Dragon he did uh, a Ghost Story most notably mm-hmm. he did um, Ain't Them Body Saints he's so great I've never seen such a relaxed heist movie yeah so it's laid a heist back film. it's a heist yeah. film but like you'd never know like it's it's yeah it's, it's so not it's chill. not it doesn't have the tone of any heist film you've seen in the past 
And that's kind of the joke, yes, right? Absolutely. Like he's a gentleman. Yes. Robert Redford is a gentleman. When he robs banks, like there's a there's a montage of everyone like getting interviewed by cops after their bank has been robbed and they're like, Yeah, he was just he made me feel good. He was a gentleman. Like he was just so nice. <laughs> and it's like that's how you feel right, the whole movie. Totally. Like you don't feel like you're watching a bank robber, you just feel like you're watching this dude, I don't know, who might as well work at, in the modern day at a suit shop, like woo you. <laughs> Yeah, it's it, it is a heist at an old man's pace. Like that is what mm-hmm. the movie feels like. Uh, yeah. what, what, what did you think of Redford? I thought he was fantastic. Was so I, I mean, I I really liked him a lot, and he and Sissy Spacek, like, dude. At first, I was like bothered by how slow their conversations were and how like uneventful they were. But then the more I got into the movie, the more I'm like, no, yeah, that's probably what like people in their 70s are like when they're talking. They're probably not having these high energy, fast paced conversations like I am in my 20s. Like they're having these slow kind of like smirky, you know, just very like playful and careless conversations. Like they have nothing to lose. Yeah, totally. I love that it was in Texas. Yes, absolutely. I, that opening shot, you and I know that bank very yeah, well. Yeah. It's, the opening shot is from a bank that's in Waco, technically Bell Mead, um, just just north of Waco, like five minutes on the highway. But it's like this sort of iconic bank that's just a circle. It's, it's like It looks like it would otherwise be like a dome stadium, but, you know, shrunk down like times 10. But I was like, I saw that and I was like, oh. And it said Waco, Texas. Or it said Bellme, Texas. I was like, wow, they called it Bellme. Like David Lowry is from Texas. Um, Not fun fact. Bellme is the number one city in the entire United States for um, internet child sex trafficking. Yikes. The film uh, does not cover that. (laughs) thankfully Uh, so moving on uh, dude i i want sissy spacek to be in more things i just forgot that you need to go back and watch sissy spacek and all of her things yo well that's a thing i mean but like but i mean more recently you know what i mean like i i would like her as like resident um like american helen mirren or whatever like just let her be the old woman in every movie she's so charming and uh just still has a great presence and still has like good chops. Like she was just like making like little interesting oh, yeah. choices that were great. Like, yeah, I, I want, I want her to sort of be whatever, um, like Christopher Plummer is, you know, like just like resident <laughs> yeah. go-to old person. Cause she was so good. Yeah. She is so good. And that, and that's like, I don't know why she hasn't taken very many roles in the past 20 years, but she hasn't. Right. And she she's married to Jack Fisk, who's the production designer for all of like Paul Thomas Anderson oh, and Terrence Malick's films. Yeah, I, strangely enough, my friend Zach lived with Sissy Spacek and Jack Fisk's daughter, and uh, we watched like a Criterion film every day for a good five months when I met him in Austin. And so I spent a lot of time at uh, Sissy Spacek's daughter's house, where they had all these like posters for for uh paul thomas anderson and, wow, and terrence so cool. malick films that are like signed by people but like she was never there i think she was living in la at the time or something so uh, i think i only met her once but it was like a, a weird you know one of those surreal connections where you're like i'm in sissy spacex daughter's house all the time <laughs> and um but yeah i don't know i i know like just because of that a tiny bit about her personal life and i what i know is not uh clue enough to tell me why she doesn't take acting roles but i guess 
what I know is that she's just happy. So maybe that's why like, she's just content. Uh, she has children and she has a husband who she loves and they get along really well. And uh, they've made some of the best movies ever together. Badlands is where they met Terrence Malick's first film. And I think maybe Sissy Spacek's first film. Anyways. May, may, may we all be Sissy Spacek in our personal lives. <laughs> May we all reach a Sissy Spacek <laughs> level of contentment. I'm Henry Greenberg. I'm an artist living in Chicago. I'm Luke Hicks. I'm a film critic living in New York City, Brooklyn, to be exact. I'm Nathan Roberts. I'm a PhD candidate in film and visual studies at Harvard, currently uh, teaching Nazi cinema the art of propaganda, in which today we watched Jews Toos, which was uh, maybe the most repellent anti-Semitic film ever made. Um, What's it called? Wow. Jews <laughs> It's about a trickstery Jew who, surprise, works his way up into the uh, the uh, the royalty of a uh, in this medieval in this medieval city by manipulating people and uh, in order to gain wealth and power and uh, you know does some raping along the way. Anyway, good times. Um, wow! Oh my God! It is. Jeez, it is Henry, like, can you relate? Or <laughs> that sounds like my Tuesday. <laughs> <laughs> it is it is actually like very smart which is exactly why it's like so repellent like it's very yeah. well crafted uh, but anyway we can talk about it anyway have a good uh, have a good week kinos I know the reason that you talk behind my back I used to be among the crowd you're in with such a fool to think I'd make contact with one who tries to hide what it don't know to begin with you see me on the street you always act surprised you say how are you good luck but you don't mean Just one time you could stand inside my shoes.